you know, her, her go-to show for those of you who are parents is Doc McStuffins, which, you know, I've heard mere, amazing thing. I don't have children, but everyone loves Doc I McStuffins. I you know the show without having kids. <laughs> I've never heard of it, but that's really well, funny. Welcome to the Finding Your Shine podcast, hosted by best friends, Nina Boyce and Liz Garster. Enjoy a dose of Monday motivation each week as we interview people lighting up the communities of health and wellness, spirituality, and personal growth. Wherever you are on your journey to health, happiness, and self-love, our real and authentic conversations with guests will keep you inspired and empowered. And keep you laughing too. Thanks for listening. We're honored to join you in finding your shine. Hey guys, welcome back to a new episode of the podcast. Today, you are going to love this conversation we had with Alexia Vernon, who is a transformational speaking and women's leadership expert, a coach, and author. She shows entrepreneurs, business leaders, and change makers how to develop the mindset and behaviors to walk into any room, onto any stage, and speak with what she calls moxie so they can radically and positively impact their audiences, businesses, and communities. Even if you are not an entrepreneur, a business owner, or, you know, thinking of speaking on stages soon, I really highly encourage you to listen to this episode because me and Liz really get into what it means to be a woman and how we have to deconstruct these core beliefs that we've developed from childhood, whether that be you know, being a woman means you need to look pretty or being a mother means you have to check off all of these boxes in order to be successful at motherhood. We get into some really deep conversations about postpartum depression and anxiety and how all of these elements that you learn really translate to all aspects of your life. So it's not just speaking on a stage. It's not just being a business owner. It's all encompassing of really what it takes to be a woman and the thoughts that go on in our head every day. Yeah, I was just thinking of like other practical examples for people. Like, I think anything that we're talking about in this episode with Alexia, really, if you translate it to how you interact with your boss or how you talk with your husband or all of those underlying negative thoughts that you may have in your head that can rear their ugly heads and impact the way you're communicating with others. I think exactly what you said, Nina, even if you're not like getting ready to say, you know, get on a stage and have a presentation right. or put yourself out there in a big way, you're still putting yourself out there every day in smaller, meaningful ways in the way that you interact with people. Exactly. So I think definitely lots of takeaways, mom or not mom, business owner or not business owner, There's she just has a ton of wisdom out there that I really think you'll enjoy listening to. Absolutely. Before we get started, we want to remind you of, hey, something that's bringing in speakers. Yes, something that <laughs> um, we're super excited about. We're talking about your empowered voice in life. Well, let's talk about your empowered voice this September. Um, we have tickets that will go on sale February 1st. We encourage you to head on over. And if you are a wellness person and you just want to get out there as a woman and have a platform to promote the awesome things that you're talking about and podcasting feels right for you, head on over to Empowered Voice Podcast this Friday and you will get the opportunity to purchase your early bird tickets and come see us in Columbus. We would love to hang out. And I also just want to make one more point that you don't have to be actively working in wellness. You can just be a wellness lover, a listener of the podcast, and you can come and get value out of this conference. So like Liz said, head on over to our website and check out those early bird tickets because they will be going quickly on sale this Friday. All right. Well, let's hop into this episode with Alexia Vernon. Finding Your Shiners. Today, we have a new guest with us, and it is Alexia Vernon, and she is a transformational speaking and women's leadership expert, coach, and author, and we are so excited to have her on. Um, Kind of fitting for me and Liz because she talks about how to use your voice and grow in confidence and really share your message, which is basically what me and Liz are trying to do here on the podcast. So what better guest for us to have on than Alexia? So Thank you so much for coming on the show and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. 
We are too. So would you mind talking to our listeners a little bit about who you are and the work that you do and and how you came to really sharing this message? Yes. I am probably the least likely person, (laughs) given my background, to be supporting women to step into their moxie. And what I mean by that is for the first quarter of my life, I experienced an on-again, off-again relationship with my own voice. One moment, it would feel like I was tap dancing on eggshells, striving to be liked, to give all the right answers, and to not be found out for failing to be enough of whomever I thought other people wanted me to be. But then at other times, and what was really confusing was sometimes that would be in close proximity to those former times, I actually enjoyed being visible. I knew that I had strong ideas. I was a hard worker. I wanted to be able to use my voice to make positive impact. And yet I didn't have a way to be able to reconcile both of those pieces of me. For years, the thought of public speaking was absolutely positively terrifying. And yet I kept finding myself having all of these opportunities (laughs) to speak. And I wound up winning the Miss Junior America competition when I was in college, which that was when I started my speaking career at 19 years old. But yet still, for the majority of the times I would be in front of an audience for at least a decade, I would get clammy hands. I would feel like sweat was pouring out of every pore in my body. My heart would beat so fast. I was sure you could hear it several zip codes away. It (laughs) wasn't until I recognized that the issue for me was not getting more FaceTime as a speaker because I had plenty of FaceTime, but really being able to reclaim the role of protagonist in my self-talk, learning how to play nicely with the sensation I was experiencing around visibility so that I normalized it rather than problematizing it, that A, I got to a place of really enjoying those visibility opportunities. And then once I did, I knew I wanted to show other people, particularly women, how to be able to enjoy public speaking and communication and step into their moxie. And what I mean by that is have the confidence, whether they were giving their own presentations or whether they were looking to be more powerful in negotiations or discovery calls, if they were coaches and consultants and experts or anything else, to be unapologetic about speaking their truth and asking for what they want. Yeah, that's so powerful. What do you think has led, because I feel like this is, I'm sure there are men that struggle with this exact same thing, but it feels like part of what we, what we deal with is women having these two sides to ourselves where we want to be out there, but then we're afraid of what the world will say. What do you think contributes to this, to other women feeling this way and having a similar story to you? From the time we are born, most of us, even if we have amazing parents who are not gender stereotyping, internalize the messages that the world sends. And even though my background was in women's studies and I was a women's studies adjunct professor before I wound up hanging out my own shingle, I don't think I ever realized just how deep the messages were until I had a daughter of my own five years ago, where suddenly from the moment she was born, the feedback she would get from every stranger she would meet as she moved through the world was, oh, what big eyes. Oh, what beautiful lips, aren't you? Like the moment we're born as women, that's the message that we're getting constantly. Or even just observing as she moves through the world. And we don't allow her to watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. You know, her, her go-to show, for those of you who are parents, is Doc McStuffins, which, you know... I've mm-hmm. heard mir- amazing things. I don't have children, but everyone loves Doc <laughs> I McStuffins. I you know the show without having kids. <laughs> I've never heard of it. But but she's really surrounded funny. by a multicultural cast, a yeah. girl who is a doctor to her to her little animals. So it's like, you could try to keep her in her shell, but she'll go to school. And even though she goes to an amazing school, some of the influences that other kids uh, will bring in are interesting. Mm -hmm. If she goes in the car anywhere and she'll see something on a billboard or we're listening to a radio and I don't change the station fast enough. And it's not like we're trying to keep her in a bubble. But by the time she was three and a half years old, she was asking, do you think I'm pretty enough? Yeah, that's my heart. All the good work we're trying to do in our home. And, you know, I think my daughter overall is in a good place. 
Mm-hmm. But that, but to answer your question about why do women struggle with this more than men, whenever we have play dates and we go out in the world with little boys, it's always, look how fast he runs or what do yeah. you want to be when you grow up versus what's your favorite color? And isn't that a pretty dress? Mm-hmm. And that plays a profound role. Yeah, I need to even catch myself. Like, even though I'm in this work and the I, this is all of the stuff that I preach and I believe, I even catch myself from years and years of conditioning, wanting to say like, oh my gosh, I love your 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 shoes. Like, those are so cute, you know? And I'm like, okay, I need to... I need to prevent myself from going down that road. And I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day about how in high school, I would dumb myself down sometimes around boys and play like the whole ditzy, like, oh my gosh, type of thing. I was like, where did I learn to do that? And why did I do that? Mm -hmm. And I had to like grow out of that as I got older. And it's really doing this work now and talking to so many people and getting into women's health and those sort of ideals that I had to break all of it down and realize that I had even learned all of that from growing up. It's, it's incredible. I was thinking about public speaking in general, because I, I noticed that even though I've always loved performing and being on stage, there's still this sense of nervousness that I get every single time I go to public speak. And so did you find that even though you've done it a lot and it was something that you said since you were 19, you were stepping on stages and speaking, did you find that it was almost a subconscious nervousness that you had to deal with? Did you think in your head, you know, I'm fine, this is going to be great. And you didn't understand why you were getting the clammy hands or the pounding heart? The second part, not understanding why the terror was happening was true. But if I'm to be really honest, I was not telling myself, I'm going to be fine. This is great. Mm. I've got this. Like I was not that person. I was usually saying, what's wrong with me? I should not be experiencing this anymore. Like I was very much my inner critic. But what I can tell you from doing this work now with a whole crap ton of women Mm. (laughs) over the years is that when we are able to recognize that what we are feeling is not fear... And as I talk about in my book, rather it's sensation. That's when things start to change for the better. And what I mean by that is if you think about any moment in your life, in your career, for those of you who have a business where you were on the cusp of doing something big or saying something big, you probably had all of those same feels. And even if in the moment it felt like terror, once you got on the other side, you recognized oh, that was me playing to my edge. I didn't Mm. need to shove down that experience or try to cover it up by, you know, pretending it wasn't there or numbing out by watching television or taking a pill to make it go away. I just needed to learn how to be present with it. Mm -hmm. And that is really so much of how I support speakers is looking at what are all the tools that allow us to be able to play nicely with that sensation. And most of them are not complicated. I mean, one of the big ones is oftentimes, particularly for those of us who are conscious and have a meditation practice or yoga practice, is we try to meditate those feelings away. And that actually can make them heightened. Yeah. I'm all about meditation and visualization. Yeah. But when we're in the midst of one of those tsunamis of sensation the best thing we can actually do is move our bodies and get physical. Get out from behind our computer screen, go for a run, jump on a trampoline, do something to get the heart rate up. And I'll tell speakers, if you're at an event and you're feeling that, go to the bathroom and do some jumping jacks. Because what that does is it actually gets the blood flow moving. And then after that, we can close our eyes, we can meditate, or we can do some deep yoga breathing. But if we do that too quickly, it doesn't work. Mm. It's so funny you mentioned that because I, so I have recently been going through the process of being like, I think I have anxiety. I'm 30. Maybe I should have figured this out a little sooner. And one of the things that I've noticed is like the advice is always meditate, meditate, meditate. And that's exactly what happens is in the middle, whenever I'm freaking out, having that feeling, which I guess from a public speaking standpoint or life standpoint, it's nice to know you're alive, like have gratitude that you can feel those feelings. But in the middle of it, I, it always heightens me because I'm like, I can't get out. Why can't I stop it? Why can't I stop it? And so I've never thought to, I've always, the answer seems to always be like, slow down, relax and 
it's always had the opposite effect. And I've always felt broken for that mm. a little bit. I appreciate you bringing that up because that was my experience for a long time as well, that I've had a, I, I don't want to say a daily meditation practice because that would be a lie. I'd say a four day a week meditation <laughs> practice <laughs> since I was in college. And when I was in a good place, I showed up, I meditated, it felt great. But then there were seasons or even just episodes that were going on where I was in my head, I wasn't feeling comfortable and that tended to make it worse. And one of my Mm -hmm. clients about a year ago, who uh, her name's Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, and she came from the Ayurveda tradition. She used to be a Western in her doc. And she said, you know, one of the things I've seen even with my patients is that There's so much focus with anxiety on meditation. But what happens is when we slow the inhalations when we're breathing, rather than putting the priority on slowing the exhalations, what winds up happening is that we're actually creating more anxiety. So even for Mm -hmm. those who are just looking to amplify the impact of their meditation in daily life, she advised, and I saw that a real difference with myself, Box breathing can work for some where, you know, it's all the same, but for a lot of people, really where we need to extend the breathing is on those exhalations. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle with anxiety and that's the whole reason why I even got into this work. And I found that the same thing used to happen with me. I was meditating just to get the problems gone, you know, like I'm clearing my mind, I'm getting them gone. Um, And sometimes it would work, you know, but like you said, it sort of depends on where you're at and like what season you're in. And I found that when I finally decided just to honor the feelings and, and why they were there and not think of them as such like this burden, like I'm broken, what's wrong with me? Why is this happening? And I was like, okay, hold on a second. At least let me acknowledge why they're there and like identify it. So I would identify the feeling. And then it's so true. Like when you move through that or do something in your body to like let that go, um, it's it's so much more helpful. And it, I feel like I just saw, it seems like I know now, okay, maybe this is the time where I just need to quiet my mind and meditate, or maybe I know that's not going to work. And I sort of feel the difference in my body now and I choose accordingly. That's great. So I'm curious as to your, so we talked a little bit in the beginning about your negative self-talk and some of those thoughts that were coming into your head um, that kind of undermined your awesomeness. (laughs) How have you moved through the constant chatter that I think for me is a lot of my anxiety that causes Mm -hmm. it, that constant voice in your head that for every like rational thought you have, it gets undermined almost immediately by this she devil. <laughs> there is so much that I want folks to be able to glean from my work or if they read Step Into Your Moxie, but if they took nothing else away, it would be the power of changing the conversation in our head. And once we're able to do that consistently, how that will start a chain reaction of positive results in terms of how we communicate out in the world. And the way to be able to reclaim that role of protagonist in our self-talk is to change it from a monologue to a dialogue. So for anyone who's ever tried to stop the self-talk that feels self-sabotaging, you've probably experienced it if you try to put a muzzle on it. It's like Mm -hmm. you give it a microphone and now it's on steroids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't stifle it. It'll just come back with a vengeance. But what you can do is talk back to it. And the way you talk back to it effectively is by bringing in an inner coach. So for most of us at any given moment, we have one of three voices in our heads. For some of us, it's the voice of the critic. I'm not smart enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not experienced enough. I don't have a big enough list. And when we bring in our inner coach in that situation, we ask a question like, where am I successful? Or what do people come to me for? And how can I leverage that in this experience? But the problem is a lot of us might actually even know what we're supposed to do with the inner critic, whether we do it or not is a different story, but asking those questions so that we have to speak back to ourselves, our power is good. But sometimes it's not the voice of the critic. We might have the voice of the cop. And the cop is going to turn everything in our world into a dichotomy, meaning it's option A or it's option B. So there is the right client for me and everybody else is my karmic mismatch. Or there's the right way for me to run a business. And if I don't do it the way all the experts tell me, then I'm going to be a horrible failure and have to go back and get a J-O-B. So if we're bringing in our inner coach to the cop voice that's in our head, we'll ask a question like, what's an option 
that's for between A and B that perhaps we haven't explored yet? Or what would it look like if I made a mistake? How impactful would that really be so that we don't turn everything into a catastrophe if we yeah. can stay paralyzed? And then the third voice, which is also really damaging if we're not aware that it's going on, is the voice of the cheerleader. And at first, it sounds amazing if we have an inner cheerleader. She's saying things like, you can work an extra few hours. You don't need a break. One day you'll retire <laughs> and then you can catch up on sleep, whatever it is in the problem. You know, and when we do that over and over again without checking ourselves, and you know this, Nina, you know, in terms of health, is we get tired, we get sick, we yeah. out, we're not able to sustain the careers, the businesses that we're building. So if we find that we are not just in the cheerleader, like when we have to objectively get through a tough time, like maybe we need a little cheerleader to sprint, but that's our default voice, is to ask a question like, what can I stop making a priority so that I can put what really matters back on my to-do list? Or how can I delegate? Or who do I need to hire? So that again, we are recognizing that we have choice in situations. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was something that came naturally to you to identify there are these three voices and how can I start talking to myself differently? Or did you, did you learn that from somebody else? Because I think sometimes when people are in the thick of it, they're like, I only have this one voice. Mm -hmm. This is just the way that I talk to myself. And it takes a lot of work to realize that, no, you actually can talk to yourself differently or you have these different voices in your head that you can use to your advantage? I was aware of the presence of the critic because that comes up in so many people's work. I didn't, yeah. the cop and the cheerleader were terms I gave after looking at the self-talk narratives that were coming up for my clients over the first few years of my business and recognizing, wait, these are all archetypes that are showing up. Mm -hmm. Like whatever the voice was, I could put it into one of those three buckets. And so from there, having been certified as a coach, I recognized, okay, if what we're trying to do as coaches, whether our whether we're health coaches, financial coaches, speaking coaches like me, ultimately is we are trying to empower our clients to be able to be their own coach at the end of the day. So yeah. how can we how can I show my clients how to be able to do that with their self-talk first and foremost so that it creates a foundation for them to be more impactful communicators in all the other areas of their lives? Yeah. I love that because I first you're going to tell that I have a lot of cop in me when I say this. So for a long time, I thought I was like, it's just negative self self talk. It's either negative or it's positive. Black and white. Like, we always talk about the black and white thinking. <laughs> and I never would have thought to take the negative and be like, oh. And I also never would have thought. And I think um, have you read that recent article that's been circling around? It was in BuzzFeed about burnout being the millennial condition. No, it's been like I'm everywhere. Not that there's an article about this. <laughs> yeah, Same. it's like taking over parts of the internet. Um, I think it's so important that we recognize that third one in particular because <laughs> it has such good intentions, and I think our society is putting that on us, like work, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle through all these different. You know, the gig economy is creating all of this constant need to work. Um, so I think it's important because that comes from such a good place. Like, I feel like the cop and the critic feel like they come from a bad place, but that cheerleader feels like mm -hmm. it comes from a good place. Right. As someone who also is probably like 70 cop, 30% cheerleader. Yes. Yeah. When she was talking about the cheerleader, I did think of you like, I can, I'll rest when I'm done and I'll do this when I'm done. And I, I was the same way when I was teaching and doing my master's and all of the stuff. I was like the cheerleader. And it also reminds me just the way you were talking about your daughter going back to that and the messages she receives. Um, just about being a woman and what in that aspect. And then what we receive is like, I need to work hard and I need to push myself to the brink and the only way to be successful. I mean, we have so many blocks that we have to break down in order to really get to like the true essence of who we are. It's, it's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And one of my clients, her name is Kira Fenderson, also a millennial, recognized that all of the things that, and, and I'm sure there's other people who can relate to this, all of the things that had made her a successful top marketing 
professional leader um, in her work by the time she was in her late 20s were the very things that were getting her in her own way of creating a sustainably profitable coaching business during the first Mm. couple of years. And she rebranded her work under the title, The Ambition Studio of Helping Ambitious Entrepreneurs Be Able to Reprioritize Sustainable Self-Care So That Their Ambition Flames Don't Burn Out Too Early. So... I get what you're saying. And Liz, I think it's so funny that you recognize that for you, it is primarily the cop because I always say that we teach, we speak about what we've learned and what we have to remember. So as somebody who's a financial coach, who's helping other Mm -hmm. people probably get out of a black and white relationship with money and create more flow, Mm -hmm. it just makes so much sense to me that that's probably also coming from the work that you're doing on you and that you now want to share with other people. Definitely. I feel like every time I've talked to someone about financial stuff. I like learn along with them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe that's what being a coach is all about. Mm -hmm. It's like we're in it together. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when people ask me like, how do you stay in a good place? I'm like, oh, well, it's great because I'm supporting women when they're speaking every day. So every time I ask a provocative question to them, to be of service to them, inevitably I'm answering it for myself. And that really helps. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, we talked to so many coaches that focus on different things. And even in this conversation, it's like we have a health, we have a financial, and then we have a speaking coach. But it really all seems to boil down to the same core uh, philosophies and issues. And when I talk to Liz, I don't, I realize that the same issues I've had in my own life when it comes to health and anxiety really are the same issues I have when it comes to finances. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. all boils down to these core um, beliefs that we all have. So I actually would love to switch gears a little bit because... I know that you sort of hit a rock bottom with this and it was right after you had, is it your daughter? Do you have the one daughter? I do. I have one girl. Mm-hmm. And can you talk to us a little bit about what happened when you hit that rock bottom and how it shifted you into this work? Absolutely. So my daughter turned five a couple of weeks ago and the last five years of life, business, and career have been extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But if I were to fast or to rewind, fast rewind, <laughs> back to the time she came into the world, it was one of the most difficult periods of my life, as you teased. So I was very lucky in that my husband and I got pregnant very quickly the first time. Literally, we blinked at each other without protection. And <laughs> my gosh, there she was. <laughs> we knew we wanted a daughter. We had been together for a long time. My husband is 11 years older. So it was like, please, universe, conspire on our behalf. Make this happen quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I loved being pregnant. I was doing downward dogs up until 48 hours before my daughter was oh born. But then, that's my dream. That's like literally when I picture myself pregnant, I'm like, I'm going to be doing yoga. I have no idea how to actually pan and, out. But. And that was me. And like, I gained yeah. a ton of weight um, from all the ballet that I did growing up. I'm, I've got a tiny little skinny body, but I gained 55 pounds while I was pregnant. And I loved it because it mm. all went to my tummy and to my boobs. So like my little body <laughs> having deep breasts for a season, mm-hmm. pretty slamming. However, yeah. <laughs> however um, I... I was very specific about the kind of labor and delivery I wanted to have. And everything went completely off of my birth plan. Mm, I've heard this. So sorry to jump into this, but I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about this and a lot of health people that have gotten pregnant. And I've learned so much like you can't control anything. And same thing. Yeah. I was measuring my success in pregnancy, not on having a healthy daughter and not to say that you're not successful if you have health complications, but you know, my daughter did. And that was why my labor had to be induced and she was born and she was okay. And that should have been like the end of the story. Lex, like she's okay. You got her out of your body. Like let's move on. But yeah, that wasn't what happened. I went into a serious depression um, made worse by the fact that when we got home from the hospital, the cat who I'd had also since I was 19 years old um, died. Oh man. Um, he'd been going downhill hill quickly from congestive heart failure and kidney disease. And even though I had this newborn baby that I loved with everything in me, the grief from simultaneously losing that cat was intense. And mm my anxiety started to spiral to a place where with lack of sleep, grief, 
and hormone imbalance, none of my tools were working. Yeah. And less than 90 days postpartum, I found myself one morning on the ground, somewhat catatonic, not sure if I would ever get up again. And what was so jarring about that experience as my descent into postpartum depression was increasing was this was one of the best periods of my business. I had crossed that, what felt for a lot of years, um, inachievable six figures in true profit place in my business. My husband and I adored each other. He was successful in his work. I had decent family support. And yet it also felt like I had given birth to this desire to really scale my business. Mm. And yet here I was depressed. I hadn't figured out childcare because I'd been so focused on just preparing and controlling this labor and delivery experience, which didn't go the way that I wanted. And I kept saying to myself, who am I to be dishing out advice to other women about how to use their voices in the world when this supposedly natural rite of passage as a woman has so completely disconnected me from my own voice. Yeah. And, um, While I don't know exactly what pulled me off the ground, and I'm very fortunate in that it took less than 30 days to really move through postpartum depression once I surrendered to it, admitted it, got help, saw a therapist, um, looked at where my hormones were, which was a disaster, and went on hormone therapy, took an antidepressant. What I do know is that once I came above ground and started doing my own work again about asking myself through the voice of the coach, why might this be happening for me rather than to me? I recognized. That's so key too. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't try to pretend this isn't happening. Don't feel shame Mm -hmm. around it, but look for the lesson. You may not be able to harness it in this moment, but be open to it. I recognized oh, this is actually my invitation for me to recognize I have a lot of ambition and I want to grow a really successful business and I want to be an amazing, super present mom and I want to retire my husband from his career and I want us to lead our business together. And like, there was just so much being birthed at that moment and giving myself permission to say that, okay, my husband, you know, at that point is making a lot more money than I am. This is not going to happen overnight, but I'm very happy to be able to say that when our daughter was three and a half, so a little less than a year and a half ago, we got to that point where my business had really scaled to that place where now I was the primary breadwinner. He was traveling five, six days a week, and it was incredibly hard to be growing the business at that rate, Um, being primary caretaker at home during the week with a little bit of part-time help in the home for my daughter, but not a lot. And we made that leap. And I don't want to suggest that things have been rainbows and cupcakes ever (laughs) since. But I share that story because I do have a lot of clients who come to me who are new moms or who are looking to be moms and feel like their businesses are sometimes glorified side hustles. And they're like, is it ever going to shift? And everybody Mm. gets to build, I believe, the business, the career that they want. But I feel like it's important for me to share the story, A, that postpartum depression is real. And even if we come from a certain amount of privilege, we want in our babies, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us if it happens. And number two, that I think there's all of this talk in the world of like, I retired my husband and he joined my business and isn't it amazing? And that that is a, a that can certainly be a real reality. Um, if we do the work, like it didn't happen in six months, I'd have my business for 10 years before we made that move. But it really only took three and a half years of holding that goal and working toward that goal and being really clear about what we needed revenue to look like. My husband spent a year working just on weekends part-time in the business so that we could carve out that role. But that if that Mm. is your dream, like I salute you because it felt so impossible to me (laughs) when I was on the ground. And yet three and a half years later, we did it. Yeah. What I find amazing about this story too, is that I feel like in that moment... Like I'm just trying to envision like mentally how I would feel in that moment. 
And I think it's really natural for a lot of women to say like, instead of I can shift things and I can make this work and I can get clear on my ambition. I think a lot of us could sit back and be like, I have to choose. Mm -hmm. Like I have to either, you know, spend all my time dedicated to this new path that I find myself in as a mother, or I have to do this, you know, pursue the ambitions of my business and, and grow that. And it can't be both. So I love that you were able to say, I can do both of these things. I just have to re reshift my priorities and set a vision for it and get the, my support like in check to move forward. And I love that you mirrored back the word support because I had a much easier time bringing on virtual assistants and then an online business manager doing the business support. But man, my guilt was shackling getting the support I needed at home. So, you know, I I don't think that there's anything wrong with daycare, but I want to be honest, I never sent my daughter to daycare. I literally like it would trigger feelings in me that were so intense. And so as a result of that, um, when I was trying to scale the business and making some investments back into my business to grow it to the place to bring my husband in, we only had means to bring in um, a nanny into our home for like 20 hours a week, which obviously when you're trying to take your business to be the primary thing is not a lot of childcare. So I had to get really smart about the hours that I'm working, what am I doing to make sure that those are all income generating activities and cut out all the crap Mm -hmm. that is a time suck that isn't moving the business and therefore my family where we want to go. Yeah. And I also just want to make a point. I feel really lucky that you know, the story that you just shared, I feel like I need to hear that story right now because me and Liz, I mean, I'm turning 30 mm-hmm. next month in two months. And so I am thinking about having a family soon. And these worries are things that constantly show up in me all of the time. It's like a very big insecurity because I know I struggle with anxiety and I know I struggle with these things. Like how am I, what if I can't deal with this? Like what if I can't do it? And what if I get to a place where I'm a failure and you know, like, you know, whatever, you know, the stories that come through your head all the time. And your story, and I also just listened to a podcast, like I mentioned earlier, of other women, two business owners who exact same thing, thought everything was in a row. Then the birth came, then the feelings came, then the negative self-talk came. And it was all about when they finally got to that point of being like, you know what? It's okay to need help as a mother. I don't. I wonder why we feel being a mother is like a failure for if we're not succeeding. But then like you said, it's not a big deal for you to hire a virtual assistant in your business. Where does that come from? Why do we feel so much shame around motherhood? Mm. I remember reading, so I promise I'll answer. <laughs> I remember reading <laughs> Brene Brown. I think it was her first book or one of her earliest, earliest books. I thought it was just me, but it isn't her book about... Mm. And I was actually pregnant when I was teaching it during the very first live nine-month women's leadership program that I was leading in Las Vegas. And I remember sharing with the women, and I'd say maybe 30 to 40% of the participants who'd been sponsored by their companies to participate were moms, that the number one area women report that they experience shame, no surprise, is in motherhood. Yeah. And I didn't have a viewpoint on that at the time. I was pregnant, but I wouldn't constitute that being a mom yet because, you know, shame with the child in your belly, less likely. I mean, there might be other difficult feelings, but you mm-hmm. haven't, quote, thought you've done anything wrong yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that this comes back fundamentally why that exists in terms of women's relationship to control. Yeah. And we think that we're wired from a young age to see our success based on our ability to control the things around us. And so for some of us, and I, you know, I'm the oldest millennial, but um, as a millennial, I think there's this notion that we can control our futures, whether we're entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs, meaning you know we're using entrepreneurial mindset and behaviors to create the kind of position and role that we want within our companies. Is that's all about feeling like I have the control to do this, mm. and yet motherhood is the exact opposite. It is about surrendering control. It's like your biggest lesson, right? Like where else are you going to learn it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, can, you can't control anything. This is your lesson. I don't know any mom, particularly of the millennial generation, who has not said the biggest self-growth opportunity for me has been becoming a mom because it's forced me to shift my relationship to control. 
And so I think Mm. that that's why we see so many millennial women experiencing postpartum depression is because the conversation is about conscious conception, eating the right things, having a labor and delivery, getting the birth story we want, which is all fine and good as long as there is space in that narrative and practice for the reality that we can't control it. But more importantly, how do we make sure that that narrative doesn't stop when the baby is born? I didn't think about my life at all afterward. Mm. So how do we start to think about who we want to be as moms and how do we create the lifestyle we want, not only for our kids, but for ourselves and for us in our relationships and put the priority there? That would help a lot. Something I've I've learned, and I'm curious if you feel the same, is after these podcasts, I, I clearly am listening to a lot of podcasts about this. I'm like preparing myself for mm-hmm. this whole control thing. Um, yeah, it, it's not a fear for me at all. Um, really, it is. So I heard that they said prepare for getting your support that you need, not just that the baby needs, but the support that you need for when you have the baby. So does that mean like finding a therapist that you really trust so that you have them there when you need them, knowing that these feelings might come up? Oh, or does that mean- Yes. Yeah. We all recognize that we're going through a tremendous life transition. So exactly. Somebody to talk through. I, For me, one of the areas where I totally flubbed up was in breastfeeding. So I took all the classes while I was pregnant. I did that part. But guess what? Putting a doll on your boob ain't the same thing <laughs> as having a boob. As a human. <laughs> You know, like I can have the right posture, but if my child is born with a tongue tie and I don't know Mm. what that is, and then, you know, trigger warning here, like bites off part of my nipple. Yeah. Heard about this happening before. (laughs) Like I can now go see um, a breastfeeding expert, but imagine if I had said, I'm going to have a doula in the room with me, even though my mom had been a postpartum nurse, she wasn't a breastfeeding expert. So if I Mm -hmm. had someone there during these transitions, then if something goes wrong, I have an expert there. I'm not trying to be an expert. Like everyone says you're an expert in your own child. And I agree to that to a certain extent, but you can only be an expert when you've learned to trust your intuition. And when Mm. you roll, your intuition isn't honed yet. And so if you can have other people's expertise there to help you cultivate your own inner voice about your child and about who you are as a mom, it would have been so much more helpful than what I did, which was thrash around for a few weeks. And a few weeks doesn't sound like a long time, but in new mom time, when you're sleeping in two hour increments, it can feel like an eternity in hell. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing too, especially in holistic health is like, we feel like we have to get all of these things perfect and eat the right thing. And I'm going to, my body's going to do this right. And I think it's about dropping your ego is what it Mm -hmm. sounds like and knowing that things might not go well and how can I prepare for that? And I think it's interesting too, like you mentioned, hormones come into play, sleep comes into play, a life transition comes into play, past negative self-talks and beliefs come into play. It's like, you're getting all of it like thrown at you. Your physical body, like I always am like, think of what your body just went through. Like all that stuff, plus like the trauma that your body is like, you just pushed a baby out of me. And it's funny because I used to feel guilty saying this, but every time I say it, women who are moms will usually say, I got you Lex, like I get it. That in those early days, I had given myself the leeway to not have to work. I had let go of all my one-on-one clients. I was leading this women's leadership program, but it was one day a month, which felt super doable. Like one day a month, my mom and my husband will watch our daughter. I'll pump in between the sessions. So like that was great. But I'll never forget after that first day where I went back and I was training and facilitating and speaking the whole day. And I thought to myself, I want to get back and I want to do a whole lot more of it because I feel really competent in my work and I need those moments of feeling competent because when I get back home, I'm second guessing everything I do as a new mom. And I think that that's an experience we need to create space for that it's important to always give ourselves opportunities to feel like we are a rock star in in our life Mm. in certain roles. We can't be a rock star in everything at the same time. And so sometimes this idea of I'm going to take a really long break from my work or from my business or whatever it is, or I loved seeing clients, but I couldn't possibly be a new mom and see clients or whatever it is, can actually get us in our own way of 
feeling competent at home because we're not allowing ourselves to do the things. And many for many of us, our identity is a little too wrapped up in our work, but that could actually be a good thing so that mm-hmm. we're feeling like a rock star and then carrying those feelings over into the role where we're perhaps not quite so comfortable yet. That's so powerful because I think a lot of us like, there's a lot of talk on just like focus on one thing at a time. So like just focus on being a mom right now. And you would never think to add in the stuff that lights you up or you know you feel great at to support your role as a new mom. Mm-hmm. Like again, me and the either or, that's how my brain works, obviously. It makes me think about when you're struggling with, you know, anxiety or depression, it's almost like you have to retrain your brain again. So if yes. you don't fill your body and re- and teach your mind like, oh yeah, th- I am capable of feeling this way again. How are you going to cultivate that and have that habit and that feeling grow again? You know, if you're just stuck in the, it's a vibrational energy, you know, you want to make sure you're bringing in high vibrational energy too, to balance out what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. When you, when you got to this place, um, were there any specific tools or strategies, or I guess as we're wrapping up here, is there anything you can share with our listeners quick tools or strategies to help you start practicing this self-belief and cultivating your voice and really getting into your moxie? Yes. I want to recap two of the things we've talked about that I've seen for clients be really impactful and then layer a third on top of that. So doing the work to reclaim that role of protagonist in your head, particularly if you're wanting to go after more visibility opportunities. So in the beginning of my speaking coaching business. I would work with people to create a game-changing talk and to take up more space when they spoke and have the the performative elements of being a great speaker. But without this other stuff, they might have looked like a great speaker, but they didn't feel like a great speaker. Mm, yeah. If you feel like a great speaker, what was it all for anyway? Second, on top of that, is when the sensation comes up, recognizing that the best thing you can do is first go into a story that this is normal. This is you playing to your edge. It's you stepping into your moxie and get physical, move the blood going through your body so that you, you don't feel so trapped by the sensation as neuroanatomist, Dr. Jill Bilty Taylor would say, from the moment we have a thought that triggers that physiological sensation, we're going to be in it for 90 seconds. The moment you feel it, recognize, okay, it's going to be there for 90 seconds, but depending on how I respond to it, that's going to determine whether I have another 90 seconds and then another 90 seconds of that thought and corresponding feeling. Exactly how I felt while on an airplane and in an elevator in New York multiple times. I kept reminding (laughs) myself that. I was like, all right, you can keep going with this thought, but then the feelings are going to keep going. (laughs) So... Yeah. And then the third piece is if we want to have heart-centered, high-impact communication, whether that's, again, speaking to our clients, whether that's speaking to somebody in the workplace, or whether that's getting on stage, we want to strategically role-play our communication before we do it. For a lot of us, we ruminate, which is not the same thing as role-playing, meaning we replay it in our heads over and over again, and we try to control what's going to happen. We try to memorize it versus when I say strategically role-play, it's one of the things I love helping people do because it's just not complicated, but we're not usually wired to default to doing this, is to focus on the ideal outcome we want from that communication. Again, doesn't matter what the medium is. And then reverse engineer from that outcome to make sure that everything that we are saying, every question that we're asking, every story that we're telling, again, whether it's a presentation or regular interpersonal communication, is addressing the likely conversation in the head of the person who's listening or the heads of the audience members who are listening and then get up from behind the computer screen and walk and talk because confidence is going to come from repeated rehearsal aloud so that when you pick up the phone to have the call, you go into the meeting, you get on stage, you haven't just been rehashing it in your head where you don't know it, but rather you've integrated your voice with your hands, with all of your nonverbal communication and it feels second nature. Mm-hmm. That's such good stuff. And like you said, it doesn't matter what medium, like you're talking about speaking, but as you went through that whole, those three, the steps, I was thinking about my own anxieties, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it all, good. it's all tied together. Um, 
So great. Now, if people want to work with you, or obviously you have a book that has just come out, can you talk to them about where they can find more information and really dive into this work with you? Absolutely. So for folks who are excited to get their moxie on, (laughs) I do have a book called Step Into Your Moxie that's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever major books are sold. And for folks who are recognizing, you know, I'd actually like to do a little bit more speaking. I recognize that speaking could be a strategic way for me to grow my business. Or even if you're in a career, my thought leadership, I've got a free digital guide, ninemistakes.com. The, the word nine spelled out, ninemistakes.com. And it's all about the nine mistakes that coaches, consultants, and experts make as speakers and how to avoid them. Ooh. Awesome. All of these. I'm like already like getting ready to get on Amazon. I'm Aww. sitting here. I'm like, I can't wait. <laughs> I know. I know. And I just like um, opened up my tab and typed in ninemistakes.com so I wouldn't forget it. <laughs> we're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, we're ready to go for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with us. It's I think it's so important for women to hear these messages from people that have gone through it and that are now teaching it and also to know like, that they're not alone. You know, it looks from the outside, they might see a picture of you and like, okay, well, of course she has it all put together. Like, of course she's preaching this stuff, but no, like we all go through the struggles that lead us to where we are in the current moment. So I just really appreciate you sharing this story and thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you both for holding space for us to have such a rich conversation. You're welcome. Thanks guys for tuning into this episode. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. I felt like we went super deep and the information that she shared was so helpful for me. Um, I even told Liz as soon as we got off the call, I was like, shit, I want to work with her. You know, I want to uh-huh. I want to learn how to step into my moxie. I want to learn what it takes to really drop your blocks and release your control and and really step up and show up as an empowered woman in this world. Our voices are so incredibly needed. And to just circle back, that is the whole reason why we are hosting this conference called Empowered Voice, because we so strongly feel that women's voices need to be heard. And the the podcast medium is predominantly run by males. So I think Uh that this conversation today with Alexia was a great reminder about how important it is for us to grow in confidence and share our beliefs and share our stories with this world. Definitely. Well, we appreciate you listening in for yet another episode. We will catch you next week with some great new fresh content. See you guys later. 